Thanks for tuning in to the podcast of The Porch Church. We hope today's message blesses you and encourages you in your spiritual journey. If you have questions, visit us on the web, www.theporchchurch.tv. Good morning. Story is told of a uh, U.S battleship or uh, other larger ship that was piloting, that was cap- you pilot a ship, captaining a ship, I don't know what the term is. He was doing his thing, right? It was a dark and stormy night, and the waves were buffeting the ship. It was a stress for the crew, and finally they were, felt like they were coming out of it. They had their heading set. They knew that they were going to reach their destination, their port, and as the skies began to clear off in the distance, one of the sailors radios down and says, hey, there's a light that's on our direct heading. There's another ship coming right at us. The crew did their thing. They radioed and said, excuse us, we're coming through. Please alter your course 10 degrees to the south. An immediate response came back, alter your course 10 degrees to the north. Being the stressful situation that it was in, the captain was getting agitated, and so he decided to take matters into his own hands. He said, this is the captain of the ship. You need to alter your course 10 degrees to the south. Again, the immediate, almost snippy response came back, no, you alter your course 10 degrees to the north. The captain went off into a diatribe about his rank and his position and the importance of his ship, and said, again, alter your, degree, your course 10 degrees to the south. One final reply came from the other vessel, which said, alter your course 10 degrees to the north. I am a lighthouse. Perhaps you've heard that story before, but I think it's a great illustration to say even when we have clear destination and clear directions, often we can still lose our orientation in the dark, right? As life kinds of takes us to different places, we can find ourselves, as we've been talking about for the last couple weeks, having a clear destination, knowing where we want to end up. We can even have the right set of directions that we want to get us there, but sometimes we don't know the path, and in the dark, we can get pushed one way or to another because we aren't quite sure about the way to get to where we're going. We've been talking about this idea called the principle of the path. It's not our idea. It's an idea from Andy Stanley, who's a pastor at North Point Church, and he simply phrases it this way, that direction, not intention, determines our destination, that the directions that we follow, that the steps that we take, not just what we hope or wish or think might happen, but the actual things that we do determine the destination, the place where we'll ultimately end up. And so we've been talking about seeing the future clearly, right? If we're going to arrive in the year 2020 looking differently, everything's going to change. But if we want some things to change on purpose, then we need to be about setting clear pathways and clear directions to arrive at our destination. And while we've been exploring that personally and what it means for us as individuals, we've also kind of used this as an orienting point for us as a church to talk and walk through our core values, the things that make us tick, the ways in which God has uniquely wired and put us here to be a church in this community. And so today, as we wrap up this series, I want to talk about light and how similar to that story of a ship at sea, no matter how clearly you can see your destination or how sure you are of your directions, it's easy to get lost in the dark. It's easy to get, get off of the path without a light to illuminate it for you. Now, at some point in your life, I'm, I'm guessing that you made this statement or a statement like this. You said, I never would have made it if it weren't for you. 
I never would have found my way. I never would have arrived at the destination. I never would have made the trip if it weren't for you, right? Maybe you were meeting somebody at their office and they said, you know what? The office is just a labyrinth. When you get to the front desk, have them call me and I'll just come down and meet you and you can follow me through the office back to where I work. Maybe you met somebody and you were meeting at a concert or at a loud venue and they were like, look, don't even try to come find us. We're in a table on the second floor, way in the back. When you get here, just text me, right? I'll come down and find you and we can navigate our way through the crowd. Maybe it was in a housing division. You said, look, the streets are really complicated. When you get to the gate, when you get to this turn, just call me and you can follow me the rest of the way in. And chances are, if you've done that, that you followed them and maybe at the end of that course, you said, you're right. I never would have found my way here if it hadn't been for you. If you hadn't been here to show me the way, I never would have made it to the destination. I never would have made it to the end. Sometimes what we need along the path of life to help us navigate the directions in front of us and the destination that we're trying to get to is a guide, someone who's been there before, someone who knows the path marked out for us that we can follow, particularly at times and in moments when the journey gets dark when we have a tendency to get a little bit lost. So today I want to spend some time in John chapter 6. This is like a Hall of Fame chapter in uh, the Bible. If you'd like to follow along, we have Bibles that you can borrow. Just slip your hand up. The ushers would love to give you a Bible. We are on page 502, John chapter 6. If you don't own a Bible, you're welcome to keep this. It's our gift to you. Uh, Otherwise, you can just slip your hand up and borrow it for today, and uh, you can return it at the end of service. So John chapter 6, we've actually talked about this just a little bit ago, but, but here's, the, here's the highlight reel of what's going on in John chapter 6, right? If you have your Bible open or if you're following along on your app, you might see the first heading, right? It's the feeding of the 5,000, which even if you've never been to church before or never opened your Bible, you probably know about the feeding of the 5,000, right? Five loaves, two fish, fed 5,000 men, not including women and children, one of Jesus's outstanding miracles. And because you have been to church before, because you're all here, you wonderful Bible scholars, you, you know what comes after this story, which is is that Jesus walks on the water, right? The people were so impressed by this little miracle that he did that they said, hey, we should let this guy feed us all the time, and they try to make him king. Jesus says that's not going to work. He sends his posse across the lake on the boat. He hangs back till the crowd dies down, and then, of course, to catch up, he goes walking along the water, right? If you want directions to follow, the guy who can find a boat in the middle of a sea storm is the guy that you want to follow, right? Uh, I don't know how you give directions on a lake. Like, go left at that one wave. And anyway, so not only that, but then he gives other instructions to Peter about how to walk on water, which essentially Peter goes, hey, if it's you, then just tell me to come to you. And Jesus says, okay. So that's your directions for walking on water this morning. But that's not the story I want to talk about. All right, John, I'm glad you're awake out there. I'm having fun up here. John chapter 6, right, maybe turn the page because the crowd catches up. They go, hey, where'd that guy go with all the food? Uh, Let's walk to the other side of the lake. And they go, how'd you beat us here? And we had this conversation, remember, and they have this great opportunity where Jesus says, hey, you're just here for the free food. I'm not about free food. What I do have is food for your soul because I am the bread of life. And the people say, that's okay, I guess. But really, we were more interested in in the other stuff you were doing. And it leads to this really long, kind of extensive conversation that we could camp out on today, but I just want to kind of gloss over it and remind you of some things that you already know, because where it takes them to is a really difficult conversation about destination. 
about how do we get to this place where God is, what are the pieces that you have for us, and what are the directions that we need to follow. So let's jump into the story here, John chapter 6, starting at verse 28. It says, then they, this is the crowd, right? Free food, coming for more food. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? What I want you to hear there is destination, right? How do we get to where God is? Jesus has just told them that he's the bread of life and that they have to follow through this pathway. And he says, hey, well, how do we know that we can get to God? What's the destination that we get to? How do we get to where we know we all need to get to? It's a great question. They clearly understand the destination of how they want to end up where God is. Verse 29, Jesus answered that the work of God is this, to believe in the one that he sent. All I want you to hear from that is directions. We have a clear destination, right? We want to get to God. We want to go down that path. We have clear directions that the thing to do is to believe in the one that he sent, namely in Jesus, right? The person standing in front of them at this very moment. But as people do, we tend to make things way too complicated. We go, nah, that's way too easy. So they go into this big, long diatribe where they say, hey, why don't you show us a sign like feeding 5,000 people again or something, right? And they go, hey, actually, Moses fed our families for years and years and years and years and years. If you want us to believe in you, then why don't you do what Moses did? Which leads Jesus to basically go, hey, look, one greater than Moses is here, and you're not even recognizing it. And it leads him to say some very, very controversial and hard teachings. Jump down with me to verse, ah, I lost my reference. Read what's the next reference there. Just put up the scripture. Thank you. You can yell it out. I just been put over the next scripture for me. Um, but I appreciate the participation, Reed. That's fantastic. Uh, <laughs> so Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Verse 53. So he finally brings up to this crescendo where the people are talking about bread and they're talking about life. And Jesus says, look, there is no life. There is no destination. There are no directions to follow except through me. And we could spend all day talking about the implications of what these people heard. And is Jesus talking about cannibalism? And how would they have heard this in their first century world and ears? And what that meant to them and what Jesus was trying to communicate. But again, all I want you to hear from this small section is that the directions were very, very hard. These were difficult directions. We had a clear destination, right? How do we get to God? How do we do the work that God requires? We had clear directions. Just believe in the one that he sent. Believe in me. Follow me. I've been setting out this pathway. You've been following me for an entire day. That's why I had to feed you. Keep doing those things. But then they kept pushing and pushing. And so Jesus gave them a little bit more and a little bit more. And it turns out that the directions to believing and following God were a lot harder than they bargained for, right? These were not Pop-Tarts instructions. Step one, open. Step two, toast, right? These were difficult directions for the people to follow. They didn't understand what Jesus was communicating. Sometimes in life, we have our destination marked out. We know where we want to get to. We think we know the pathway to get there. We print it off the Google directions. We have the opportunities to get there. But sometimes the path to get to where we're going is just difficult. 
Right? Sometimes it's just hard. We wish it were easier. We wish it were the path of least resistance. We wish we could just go like water and take the easiest way to get down the mountain. But sometimes the path and the directions that God calls us in are difficult. Sometimes they're hard and it doesn't come to us easily. Sometimes directions take grit and courage. Sometimes it takes action over intention. And just because we know the path that we need to walk, that doesn't always make it easy. Some of the most important things that we do in our life are worth taking the hard steps to reach. So we have this conversation where we're talking about direction and we're talking about destination and Jesus gives some hard directions and that leads some people to make some hard decisions about the path before them. Verse 60, on hearing it, many of his disciples, disciples is students, right? These aren't just people hanging around for the day. These are committed followers. Many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. We can accept it, right? This is, this is too hard. Jesus, you've gone too far. We were all about the encouragement. We were all about overthrowing the Roman officials, but eating flesh, drinking blood, that you're greater than Moses. I just, it's just too hard. It's too much to believe in. Sometimes we want to just stay in the land of good intentions, where we can think that we can just stay where we're at and eventually that life will just bring us to our destination. But the reality is that when these things come up, we tend to revert back. We actually tend to change the destination to accommodate what we have going on. We change the direction that we're going to make it easier and more palatable for us. Because when it comes to actually stepping forward to do things that are hard, it's much easier to just go in a different direction than it is to keep pursuing the way that we were going because there was an obstacle in the way. Verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him which is a real problem, right? Because if we said that the direction, the destination that we're going is clearly, how do we do the work that God requires? And they say, "Eh, that's too hard. And they turn their back and follow him. What you've just said is we're no longer going after the work that God requires. We're no longer going after pleasing God because that's too difficult. Jesus, you set the bar too high. And so instead, we're going to go in a different direction. We're going to go to a different destination. We're going to go find a rabbi and a teacher that that doesn't say such hard things. We're going to go to the job that, that doesn't quite demand as much from us. Sure, the rewards might not be as great and the fulfillment that we have might not be as great, but at least it'll be easier than this. Sometimes in relationships, we want to choose the path of least resistance and go, man, this just isn't working out. I'm going to go somewhere and to somebody that doesn't have all of these emotional attachments, that don't have all the history that you and I do. I just need an easier path of less resistance. I'm going to not aim at that destination anymore. We're going to change course. I'm going to find a new path that will lead me to a new destination because this one is just too hard. Jesus, in perhaps one of his more human moments that we see in the Scripture, asks those closest to him in verse 67, what about you? You don't want to leave too, do you? 
You're not looking for the easy way out. You're not trying to just move on past this. You understand what's going on here, right? You who have been closest to me, you, you see what we're talking about, right? That we're going towards the destination of God and that this is just part of the journey. It's part of the path. I can't take it away. I can't make it easier. We just have to walk through it. Peter, fresh out of his bath in the sea the night before, says this, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe, using the word that Jesus used just a few verses before, we've come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. This is called the great confession, right? Peter kind of throws it out there. He says, look, if the destination is God, if the destination is doing the work that God requires of us, if that's the destination for all of us eventually arriving at the place where God is, then it doesn't matter how hard the path is because there's no other way to get there from here. Peter acknowledges that it's, it's difficult, that he doesn't know the way. And in the midst of that, he owns up to this reality that is where I want us to land today, which is if there's a path that leads to God and we have clear directions to get there, but it's just difficult from time to time, but we just lose our step from time to time, that when it's dark and we don't know the way, it's very easy to get lost. What we need, what we require is someone who knows the path. Someone who's been there before. Someone who can guide our steps and to say, let's go left at this intersection. Let's stay put here for a while. What we need is somebody who can light up the way for us to arrive at the place where God ultimately is. What we need is a guide, and Jesus is the guide for this path of our eternal destination. He illuminates the path for us to reach the place where ultimately we want to arrive. Just a few chapters later in John chapter 8 verse 12, he has another I am statement where he says, I am the light of the world. In other words, in our little path analogy, right, Jesus is the illumination factor. He's the guide that lets us see the path before us, whether it's dark and stormy or clear and sunny. We have the directions. He is the destination, or God is the destination, and Jesus is our guide, lighting the way for us to reach our ultimate destination in God. Of course, this is the point of John's entire gospel. He starts this way in chapter 1, verse 9. He says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Jesus is the light that guides us along the path that leads to our ultimate destination, which is God Himself. The ultimate destination for every person is to stand before God. And this isn't just an eternity conversation. This is a here and now. It's an everyday moment and opportunity. It's the opportunity for us to reconcile. What on earth are we here for? What is the purpose of this journey that we're on? And where does it ultimately end up? And I don't know about you, where you're coming from. Maybe God is, is too small of a box for you. I think that we can also open this up to go, this is where fulfillment and purpose and joy and happiness and truth are ultimately found. And it's only found in the path that Jesus directs us toward. And when life gets hard or confusing or we've lost the way, Jesus is the light that allows us to see the path clearly. And let me tell you why I think this is so important. So many people, so many people are stumbling around in the dark. They're not bad people. 
They're not evil people. They're good people who have good destinations and, and good goals, and they're trying to figure out life. But the bottom line is that it's hard to follow a path that isn't clearly marked. It's hard to arrive at a destination that maybe they don't even feel like is worth talking about. That's not the destination that I'm aiming at. But again, regardless of the choices that we make, there is an ultimate destination. There is an end to this life. We all end up somewhere and there's nothing that we can take with us when our time is said and done. People are walking around, they're stumbling in the darkness, and they're grasping for straws, trying to find their life purpose, trying to find the direction that they should walk, trying to find meaning and significance, and they're fumbling around, and what they really need is, is a guide, is a light, is, is someone who can show them the path to walk forward that will lead them to the place of their ultimate destiny. I think this is the role of the church. This is the role of us as individuals. It's certainly the role that we see Jesus playing, that he's the light to the path that leads everybody towards their ultimate destination. Light is a very interesting metaphor. It's all throughout Scripture. It's unique in our world in the sense that it's a particle and a wave, but that's a whole different conversation. But one of the properties of lights is that it reflects, that it reverberates, that it shines off other surfaces, right? You know this from mirrors and from space and everything else, that light isn't just isolated to the source that emits it. It actually radiates and expands, and it's reflected off other similar surfaces, right? Not only does light push back darkness, right? One single candle, one speck of light in a dark room will push back all the darkness from it, but it also shines off other reflective services, and that light is intensified and magnified and can grow to even larger than the original source was. Here's my point. Jesus is the light of the world, but if we're to take his word to us seriously, if we're to be about what he's called us to be about, then you have to realize that just as his light shines, so it shines in you. Jesus is the light of the world, but you are also. Matthew 5.14 says it the most clearly. This is the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' collection of teachings that says, you are the light of the world, not a typo. Right? Jesus came to be the first light, the original guide for the path, but in his coming, his light radiates and is reflected among his followers, and it shines all the brighter into the world. For what purpose? To be the guide, to light the path, to show people the way to God. This is why the church exists. I would even say not just the porch, not just our little slice of the kingdom here, but the big church, capital C, exists to shine Jesus into the world, to be a beacon and a bastion of hope, to point people and to orient them towards God. And so that's why we here at the porch exist to shine the light and the love of Jesus because the world is dark and people are getting lost and they need guides to show them the way back. And Jesus is the light, and you are also the light and the hope to people who are perishing and struggling and who are stuck in darkness. How are we doing out there? You all with me? What about when you don't feel like a light? What about when we can read all of the Scripture, we can have all this information, and we go, yeah, but 
I'm really okay with Jesus being the light. I'm really okay following him, but, but I can barely stay on the path here, right? Like, I barely have my footsteps marked out. I still get lost in the dark. I'm really uncomfortable with the idea that I am supposed to be the light of the world. Jesus, absolutely. The destination being God, totally there. That we have directions to follow in Scripture, and that marks out the path, and Jesus is the light to illuminate that, right? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. All of that's fine. But when it comes to me being the light, I, I get a little uncomfortable. I, I get a little unsure of myself because I don't feel like a light all of the time. I feel like actually I need more light than I have. I feel like I'm not quite reflecting Christ fully into my world. What do we do in those moments where God clearly says, you are the light of the world, but we're going, I don't know that I buy that. Paul addresses something like this in Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 10. He says, You yourselves used to be in darkness, but since you have become the Lord's people, you are in the light. So you must live like people who belong to the light, for it is the light that brings a rich harvest of every kind of goodness, righteousness, and truth. Verse 13, and when all things are brought out to the light, then their true nature is clearly revealed. For anything that is clearly revealed becomes light. You hear a little bit of that reflective conversation even in Paul's writing. Let me spell out a few things for us, right? First of all, we all started in darkness. So let's just own that first and foremost. When we say we're the light of the world, we're not the light of the world as Jesus is. We merely are reflecting what he's given to us. And since we all have the same origin, since we all come from the same place, since we're all equally broken, since we're all equally terrible people, we can trust in Jesus to be the source of our light. So when he says you are the light of the world, it's because you bear his image. You reflect his light into the world. Therefore, there's no need for false modesty about going, well, but I'm not as good as Jesus, or I'm not as bright as him, and don't pay attention to me. Paul says, no, you are now in the light. Granted, you started in darkness, but you are now the light of the world, which leads to that second point. When we live in the light, we end up making more light. The more that you have to offer, the more that you're in the light, the more that that translates into shining and reflecting more back into the world, right? Some of you have been followers for a really, really long time. You don't even remember quite what it was like to live in the darkness, what it was like to be hopeless, to not have a hope of an eternal future. But let me tell you, the light that you have is enough to shine from corners and into recesses that Jesus' light can't reach to. Here's what I mean. I don't have a, a picture an illustration for this, right? But, but light kind of goes in one direction. And if there's something blocking it, right? Like think like there's a wall that stops the light. The pieces behind it are still in darkness. So what you need to do to get a light in that corner is you can put up a mirror that reflects the light and has it point back into the corner of darkness. It circumvents the wall. Listen, there are places of darkness in the world that even Jesus' light can't reach. Not because he's not able, not because he's not powerful enough, but because he has asked for you to stand in the gap and to let his light shine on you so that your light can shine into that dark corner. 
When you are in the light, when you spend time in the light, you reflect that image into areas and into facets of creation and reality that Jesus can't get to without you. Again, that's not a statement on his power. It's a statement on his will and the availability that he has to let you be the light of the world. So when you don't feel like a light, that's okay. All you have to do is be exactly where God's placed you and to recognize that because his light is shining on you, you're shining that light into other areas that you're not even aware of sometimes. The longer that you spend in the light, the more light that you have to give that reflects and radiates into other places. Lastly, the light simply reveals what's already there. That's what Paul ends with. He says, look, the, once things are brought into the light, then what's already there, it becomes light. And here's the reality. Every single person bears the divine image. They bear God's thumbprint on their soul. So no matter what, all we can do is shine our light. And when we shine on other people, we pull out the goodness that's inside of them, the light that already exists in them because they are a child of God and we invite them into increasing levels of light. We invite them to take one step forward, to come one step closer to Jesus with us. Not because we're the light, not because we have the answers. We're just one step further along the path. So the question for us today is not, am I a light? Scripture says you are the light of the world. The question is, then what will I do with this light that I have? What will I do with this light that's given to me by Jesus? How will I navigate the path in front of me and the path in front of me for others with the light that I've been given? So, I need everybody to take out their light. Oh, we're doing it. This little light of, oh, you know the song. I'm not going to sing it then. Oh, I like the cell phone. That's great. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it, right? Hide it under a bush or bushel, right? Quick poll. How many of you think it's bush? Oh, very few. How many of you think it's bushel? Scholars maintain it was lost through generations, but we're going to go with bushel today because that's what the crowd won, right? Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it, right? What's the second verse? Won't let Satan... You got it's not blow it out, you guys. You've got to won't let it's a kid's song for goodness sakes, right? All of that to say this, right? That our model for our church comes from a children's song, and I'm totally fine with that. Here's the point, right? We even teach this to our kids, right? We all have this little light that we carry around with us, and God's call to us is to let that light shine. You have a couple of options, right? You could hide it. You could diminish the light. You could make sure that the light doesn't show because you're unsure how people in the dark will respond to your light. But here's the deal. Even children know that's not what the light is for. The light is for illuminating and revealing and shining more of Jesus into the world. So hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. You could let it be extinguished by the, uh, by the attacks of the enemy, right? Ephesians chapter 6 talks about his schemes to diminish what we have. And that's not what the song says that we're to do. We're not going to let our flame extinguish. So the only thing left to do is to let it shine until Jesus comes. I'm going to let it shine. And, and so the point of all of this is to say that you are the light of the world. You have this light that you carry around with you. And my question is simply this. Did we forget what we learned in second grade Sunday school? 
Have we forgotten to let our light shine out into the world? Have we forgotten where we're to be about? Have we let Satan perhaps extinguish our flames? I would even challenge you with one further point, which is you can have a flame and keep it lit, or you can fan the flame and turn it into even more light. You can transform a match into a candle, into many candles, into a roaring bonfire that emits and radiates the truth and the the light of Jesus for miles and miles around. I don't know about you, but that's why I come to church. I don't come to church because my flame goes out. Sometimes it does and it needs to be rekindled. I come here to get oxygen and fuel source so that I can add it to the blazing fire that God has burning so that everyone and every place that I go can see the light and the love of Jesus clearly in who I am and what I do. There's a quote that's attributed to John Wesley. All the research will tell you that he didn't say it, but none of it will tell you who did. Uh, So we're going to say John Wesley. Here's what it says. Light yourself on fire with passion, and people will come from miles to watch you burn. Light yourself on fire with passion. In his context, he would say the passion for the gospel, the passion of Jesus, and people from miles around will see the light of that, and they'll go, what's going on over there? I want to be a part of that. I want to see what's going on. And so we here as a church exist to do this very thing, to let our little lights shine into the world and to increasingly grow little lights into larger and larger flames that draw attention for God and for his kingdom. We're not going to hide it under a bush. We're not going to let it be extinguished. We're going to come together and figure out how to be the light of the world that God has called us to be. Because the world is dark. And again, it's not because it's bad. It's not because people are evil. It's because without the light, you're left with no other recourse but to be in darkness. Sometimes we get so comfortable in that darkness that we forget that there is light. Sometimes the darkness becomes so comfortable that the light hurts our eyes and it makes us angry. Sometimes the light is simply just annoying when we're trying to go into the darkness, we're trying to sleep, we're going, man, I wish somebody would extinguish that light. But the reality is that the light reveals the truth. It reveals the path forward, and sometimes when we have a clear destination and clear directions, but the rain has washed away our directions and the darkness is obscuring the ultimate destination that we're trying to get to, what we need is a light to illuminate the path before us. Jesus gives us light so that we can be lights and encourage other people to come along with us. And so the question for us today is not, do you have a light? Jesus says, you are the light of the world because you're the church. Therefore, what will you do with the light that you have been given? I don't know about you, but here, we're going to let it shine. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, sometimes the path is dark and it's scary. Sometimes the path is hard and what we want is for it to be easier. But God, you've called us to follow clearly after you. And so, God, we echo Peter's words to say, where else could we go? You have the path. You have the light. You have the way to get to God. And so, Jesus, would you guide us? And in that process, 
as we follow your light, as we absorb the truth that you have to say about us, as we begin to shine the light that you so clearly shined on us, God, would you enable and equip us to bring other people along? Would you help us shine light into the dark corners of the world so that people might see the truth and that they might be set free? that they might find themselves on the pathway that leads ultimately to you, and that you might also be the light to their life as well. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would do this for us individually as we go throughout our week. We ask that you would be the light to our path, that you would guide us in our truth, God, in whatever realm and whatever circumstance that might be for us, whether it's difficult decisions or a hard path or whether we feel like we're just lost in the dark. And God, over and above that, would you help us to shine the light of your love onto other people around us who are fumbling in the darkness, who are looking for significance and purpose, and ultimately their soul won't find that rest until they find you. Jesus, would you be our light this week, this day, and this season? God, would you help us to shine our lights into the world? that we might make it a little brighter for people to come and discover the path that you've laid out for them for eternal life. Heavenly Father, we love you. We praise you. All God's kids agreed together and said,